You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. Good morning for us this year. I'm glad that we get together and we're going to do something like we did last, uh, last Sunday if you were here. We are going to hear the word and then we're going to respond to the word uh, by sharing communion together. I think that's always so important. It's been one of our traditions over the years to end uh, an old year with uh, communion and begin a new year with communion. And so we're going to do the same this morning. And uh, we want just to, to encourage you today and let you know that God cares for you, that he loves you. And uh, we know that there's going to be a blessing in store, especially as we spend time together this morning. Most of you know we've been in a series titled Identity, and we've been asking the question Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And uh, that has taken, in the last three or four months, just a lot of wonderful time uh, spent for us talking about identity. I know it's been important for me. I hope it's been important for you that today, especially, we need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. I mean, to go through this life, this world, with the trials and the circumstances we face without being firmly planted and knowing our identity in Jesus Christ brings nothing but turmoil and chaos. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to continue to talk about identity. I'm going to give a little different spin on it. Uh, for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about identity, but from a, a different perspective. We've talked about individual identity in our relationship with the Lord in the last several months. For the next four weeks, I want us to ask another question about identity. And that has to do, who are we? That's the question. Who are we? What I mean by that is, who are we in the kingdom of God? Who are we as being part of the body of Christ? As far as individuals, we're discovering that. But we want to go even a little further and ask, what do we look like collectively? What is our responsibility collectively? So who we are in a collection of followers of Jesus Christ, who we are together as the body of Christ in the local church. And, and to do this, I want to take you on a brief journey. And it'll only take just a few, few moments. And for some of you, it'll be a familiar journey. For others, you might be um, being re-familiarized. And it has to do with who are we can be Foursquare Church would be appropriate at the very beginning of this year that we talk about who we are and so that we have an understanding of our direction, of what we've been called to. And I want to make it really clear to, to you and to anyone who's listening to this that, that every church has its own distinctives and we're no different. We have our own distinctives. And so to identify those and know what they are really keeps us on course. We don't turn to the right or to the left. We know the direction that God has set for us, and we, and we follow that direction. And so I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about who we are, just a thumbnail sketch of who we are in the body of Christ. And I have a, a few thoughts that I want you to keep in mind. One is I want to talk about our beginnings. I want to talk about our covenants, the covenants that we've made. I want to talk about our works I want to talk about our lessons, lessons learned. And as we've done uh, every year is I want to talk about our word. What is the word God has given us for this new year, 2024? I know a lot of you have been so faithful in those, um, in those words of understanding the word and practicing whatever word God is giving to us as a community. You take serious, you pray over that, you live it out. 
And I'm thankful for that because it really gives us something to shoot for. And so this morning, let me begin with our beginnings. And I want to do that by telling you that I believe, first of all, that the birth and life of every church is like the birth and life of every individual. We're born in the image of God. Now, Canby Foursquare is no different. You are uniquely and wonderfully made. When God birthed you as a church, he birthed you uniquely and wonderfully. And we need to have, I think, a good understanding of that. While all churches should exist to execute, fulfill the Great Commission, not all churches are gifted the same, nor should they be. Each church, like a person, has its own personality, has its own gifted giftings, has its own weaknesses, its own strengths, and we're no different. We do have all of those things going for us and working. Sometimes we work against ourselves, but when we know them, we just need to be clear on who God has called us to be. And Canby Foursquare was birthed over 45 years ago. Uh, it came into existence November of 1978 by a dedicated group of people who were pastored by Jack and Linda Gustafson. And Jack and Linda are here this morning. So why don't you stand? I think you deserve an applause. I think that's, um, that's great. And I really appreciate it. So Jack and Linda, Jack and Linda aren't just coming for uh, a visit this morning because I asked them to. Jack and Linda are part of, of your community, of your church body. And I, I hope you understand and know how rare it is to have the founding pastors be part of, of, of the church, of the, the church that they planted. It, it is incredibly rare. You need to know that they love you. Uh, they care for you. They pray for you. Uh, they lead the prayer teams that we have. They are actively engaged here. They also are missionaries to Brazil. And so they're coming and going from Brazil. So if you don't see them, they're probably in Brazil. And uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, that God has the founding pastors here at our church. So, Jack and Linda, thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. And we're just blessed. I think this whole community is blessed. Uh, they served as senior pastors here for about seven and a half years. And then they went out to plant a church. I'm going to do something. Can I have your hand held? Um, thank you. We're going to turn this off, if we can, Mike. Can we take this and turn this on? There we go. Can you, you get it? There we go. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Um, they were here for seven and a half years um, planting the church, and then they were sent out of here, really blessed, sent out of here to be missionaries in Brazil, and that's amazing. Uh, Jack and Linda were followed by Connie and Jim Kingsbury, who served here for approximately two and a half years. They, too, were sent from here as missionaries around the world. Uh, so you get a theme or a pattern here. This is a sending church. And we send our pastors out as well. And that's just been a huge blessing. In fact, Jim and Connie Kingsbury, I believe, were some of the first Foursquare missionaries that went to a Muslim nation. And uh, they ministered in a Muslim nation. And so there is a character here. There is a will to see the Great Commission executed. In fact, when Annette and I first arrived, we were pulled aside by a dear, wonderful lady and uh, she looked me in the eyes because the former pastors had all left to be missionaries. She looked at me and she said, you're not going anywhere, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> she, she caught on to the pattern as well. And I said, no, we're not going to go anywhere. And that really was the reason I didn't go on any mission trips for about 12 years after I'd gotten here. 
uh, it was for that reason. There needed to be communicated, you know, hey, I'm here. I'm going to be hanging out with you guys. But then in the summer of 1988, Annette and I arrived with two little boys, and then our daughter followed a year later, and this has been our home, you know. Uh, this has been our home for 35 years, and you've been our neighbors. Uh, you've been our friends. Uh, you're our church family. I don't, I don't know another church family. I, I mean, really, I, I, I know you, and you know me. And, um, and we've done life together in community, and I'm very thankful for that. I'm also very much aware of how rare that is to be able to, for a pastor to call those that he pastors, their community, their family, the ones that, that, that we love and care for. And that's true about this church. And so thank you. Um, thank you for being that to Annette and I. That has been a huge, huge blessing. And you know this, every new beginning always seems to start with a miracle from God. We don't have the ability to initiate much. It's God who initiates. It's God who leads us in the direction that we need to go. That's why I felt like the scripture for this church is so appropriate. You have a theme verse here, and it's out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is absolutely what you've done. You've been a place that ministers in the ministry of reconciliation. But for us to come here was also a miracle. It was really a miracle how God opened the doors for us. Because a few years prior to coming here, the Lord was stirring in both of our hearts about pastoring. We just didn't know where altogether or when, and we didn't have very many details. So what we would do on occasion, especially on the weekends, we'd pack the boys up and drive the Tri-County area and just pray. I mean, I don't, it's kind of like mining for gold. You're just driving around feeling and thinking, okay, Lord, where do you want us to go? How, how do you want to send us? And um, one day we drove through here and we looked at each other and, and thought, well, this, I think this is it. I think Canby is the place that God is sending us. And so we really, we were under strict instructions not to tell anyone. And the reason why is because we don't make those decisions. Our district leaders make those decisions. It, it is an organization that goes by appointment. And so we knew that. And we thought, well, it really will be a miracle that God would open the doors for us to come to Canby. But we continued to pray. And a couple of years went by, continued to pray. The only person we told was Pastor Alan Hamilton, who was our pastor at the time at Portland Foursquare Church. And we didn't tell anybody. We had a gag order on us. Um, and it was interesting because the time that we were serving there, Jack and Linda were on staff. They had already uh, gone, planted a church, had gone to Brazil and come back, I think, by then. And then, uh, then, then they came on staff at the church. And they uh, came over for dinner one night. And Jack and Linda told Annette and I that they thought that we would be the next pastors of Canby Foursquare Church. Well, you could imagine inside we're jumping up and down, but outside we say, oh, thank you very much. We so appreciate your confirmation, and you're such a blessing, and, and we'll see. And, and so we had to restrain our enthusiasm because we were told not to tell anyone. And so we, we did that, and we thought, well, I don't know how we're going to really get here, but God will open the door. has to be a miracle. There was a day in April of 1988, my pastor, Alan Hamilton, 
called me into his office, which back then was not a good thing usually. It was typically you were getting a pink slip or you're getting fired or, you know, something. You're going to get chewed out. And I'd gone into the office. And the thing that Annette and I prayed was that we want God to open these doors. And so he, um, he asked me, he said, would you be my associate pastor? Would you be my executive pastor? I, I want you to do that. And uh, I, said, oh, I said, well, let me talk to Annette about it and let's pray. And, and I said, is there any movement in Canby? Because he knew. And he goes, no, that, that church is a great church. You know, no one's going to leave that church. It's a good church. So we prayed, and I went back to Alan, and I said, yes, we will take it, because we're going to either be here or there. You know, that's the way we live. That's the way we felt. Commitment was important to us. Well, it was like within two weeks after we committed that this church was open, that the pastor of this church resigned, and Annette and I felt to ourselves, we missed it. We just missed it. We, if we would have waited two weeks, we probably could have gone there, uh, but it was, it, we missed it. And, and we, we told the, the people that we were with, the people that prayed for us, and especially Annette and I, we talked about the Lord providing and that the only way that we could come to Canby is if, if Alan Hamilton, my pastor, came to us and he sent us, he blessed us. And we kind of chuckled, not out of sarcasm, but because that church never really did that. Uh, that wasn't part of their custom. And so we thought, well, this will really be a miracle then if it happens. And a few months had gone by, and Pastor Hamilton again called me into his office, nervous as I could be. I sat down, and he said to me, he looked disheveled, he looked uncomfortable. He said, there is a chance that you can go to Canby, Oregon, and pastor. And I said, really? I said, are you blessing me and releasing me? And he said, no, no, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not doing that. And, um, and he talked some more, and, and I listened, and I said, are you blessing me and releasing me? And he said, I'm not doing that. I said, Pastor, the only way that Annette and I can do this is that you will bless us and release us. We are submitted as people under authority. And we recognize that blessing comes by submitting. We're not leaving here unless you bless us and you send us to go. And he got up. Uh, I'd never seen him really cry much, and he was starting to do that, and he came over and he put, stood behind me and put his hands on my shoulder. I didn't know if it was a Guido moment, you know, like the mafia, like, uh, or um, something else was going to happen, and, and something else happened. He prayed this prayer of blessing, and he said, Ron and Annette, you're being blessed and sent by me and by this church. And the freedom that came through that. And I called Annette and I told her, I can't believe this. I said, we need to pray about it. She goes, that's what we've been doing. We've been praying about it. I said, oh, that's right, that's right. And, um, and then, and then we, we arrived here. And um, before I left there, I did an exit interview with the business administrator. At that time, I, I, I hadn't met you yet. I didn't know who you were. I, I didn't really know anybody here. Um, but at that time, I realized how much I was in love with you um, because in that, uh, yeah, I didn't know it was going to be that emotional. But in the uh, exit interview, the uh, business administrator says, oh, well, you're going to this little town. Where is it? And I said, it can be. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He goes, well, you know, you'll go to a small church and 
cut your teeth, and it can be a stepping stone, and maybe someday you'll be back here and pastor the big church. And I was offended, and I told him so. Uh, I said, I'm not in this to use people as a stepping stone. I said, people deserve a lot more from us than to treat them as uh, something like climbing the corporate ladder. And so it really, it bothered me, and he knew it bothered me. And uh, the interesting thing is when we came here after we'd been here for a few years, and since we were offered to pastor that church three different times to go back to the big church. And um, we loved that church, but this was where we were being called. And we just followed our hearts, and, and we came to this place, and the Lord blessed. And so there was the beginnings. But in any beginning, there are always, there are always times and moments that you interact with God that are covenant moments. And you see them all through Scripture, especially with new beginnings. There's always covenant moments. And in the life that we live, covenants are so important. And in life, the most significant enduring decisions we make are covenant decisions. They are sacred agreements which bring about a, a relationship of commitment. Commitments we make between God and ourselves, uh, between ourselves and others. Their promises made, their promises kept. Uh, there were two promises made early on. Annette and I made two promises early on. The first was a promise we made to God. And the second was a promise we made to you. And that was in the very, very beginnings of being here. To God, the promise we made is we promise God to always keep the main thing, the main thing. That it will always be about Jesus Christ. And it, and it fit in with my life verse. My life verse happens to be 1 Corinthians 2, 2. For I resolve to know nothing among you. I determine not to know anything else among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We committed to do that here. That this would be what we would do as we would preach Jesus. And then there was a promise we made to you. And the promise we made to you was... Canby Foursquare Church, you heard this last week, will be the first, last, and only church that we pastor. Promise made, promise kept. Over 35 years. But here's the truth, and most of you know this, that any covenant God extends to you and you extend to him will always be tested. Think about Abraham. The promise given to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham was, you're going to have so many kids, you can't count them. You're going to have so many kids, they're going to be like the grain of sands in the ocean. And then he has one, and God says, sacrifice him, literally sacrifice him. That covenant was being tested. God's faithfulness was always present. And that has been tested in our lives as well. But what we knew being here was so important that keeping the main thing the main thing, that was the covenant, has to do with how I use my influence, how this, this platform is used. And if you can imagine, not only this platform, but how will I use my life here? Keep the main thing the main thing. And so what you hear from here is keeping the main thing the main thing. I'm so jealous. There's a godly jealousness that I have that is purposed to bring edification to you and evangelism and never separate those two because edification and evangelism work together. You cannot be edified without evangelizing or you become 
fat and lazy, excuse me, but we've become a church like that. We can't be that. We have to have people in our lives that we're sharing the gospel with. So that was the commitment. John 12, 32, Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And I, I, I believe this. I rested in this. And this gets challenged. This will get challenged on a regular basis. Specifically gets challenged during um, about every four years during voting. And I am really not looking forward to this coming year because it's a, a voting year. It's presidential year. And I'll tell you why. Because there's just a lot of pressure and there are a lot of people that come and they want me to use this platform for political purposes. I will never use this platform for political purposes. And they come and they say, well, you need to tell these people who to vote for. No, I don't need to tell you who to vote for. What I need to do is arm you with the word of God and then you, by the Holy Spirit of God in you, you make the decisions you make based on his word. This is not a pulpit for sale. And I will not proselytize. It will never come from here. So please, when it gets close to October, do not run at me and tell me to tell people who to vote for. It happened in 2020. It happened before that. I will not bend. You will hear Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's what you will hear. And I'm committed to that. And that and I are committed to that. Now, the second covenant, the second promise to you was first, last, and only church. That's been tested over the years by invitations that have come to us to go pastor somewhere else or go lead somewhere else. And they typically come from our superiors. We're in a denomination that has leaders and supervisors. And so they've come to us and they've asked us if we would not think about moving and going and going somewhere else. For Annette and me, each invitation was a test. It was a test for us. How will we answer? We always wanted to be prayerful and thoughtful and respectful and appreciative that our leaders thought that about us. We always felt that. And we would always respond by saying, we're going to get together and we're going to pray and fast for, for a little bit of time and we'll get back with you. But thank you for thinking of us that way. And when we would go back to those that extended the invitation to us, we never said no to them. Now, here's what we would do. We wouldn't go and say no, but we would say, we're not saying so much no to you, but your invitation your invitation has allowed us to say yes again to Candy. It gave us a chance to re-up the covenant. It gave us a chance to renew the covenant that we made to say yes. And so we would just say we're saying yes to Candy. Promise made, promise kept. That's how we process those times in our life. It was amazing because God always did a work there. It was our opportunity during those times to double down here. And we were so thankful. So we have the beginnings. We have the covenants. But then something has to happen. Now that their covenants made, it's time to roll up your sleeves and do the work. Do you know covenant is not really real just with words. Covenant becomes real when those words are put into action. That's covenant. That's when it happens. And we knew that. 
And so what we want to do is roll up our sleeves and make disciples that make disciples. How many have heard that phrase here? Yeah, you've heard it a lot of times. You've heard it. It is true, and we are faithful to that. What Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 is the Great Commission. Our work is the fruit of our covenant. It is our words moved into action. So what does it take to move the Great Commission into action? What does it require? What does it take? We had a good mentor friend of ours. Some of you will remember his name, uh, Dr. Roy Hicks Jr. And he said this. He said it takes two practical things to plant a church. It takes two things to see it done on your part. And I was just with bated breath waiting to hear this wonderful wisdom that would come from his mouth. And he said the two things are this. It takes people to have a church. And it takes money to have a church, resources. And I thought, you know what? It does. It takes people and resources to do church. There's no church that gets out from under that, that we're all in that. That's, that's what it takes. And as a small church back then, both weren't in abundant supply. We didn't have a lot of money, and we didn't have a lot of people. But what we did have was a generous heart. And did you know that to make disciples who make disciples requires sacrificial generosity? That it just doesn't happen overnight. It just doesn't happen because somebody wants it to happen. In fact, all of you that are here right now, every one of you with no exception, that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you're here now, it's because somebody was sacrificially generous to you. That's how you're here. You're here. Because somebody gave sacrificially. It's the only way we get here. Oh, what is God? It was God working through people. It was God who, working through people who were sacrificial. It was God that was working. And he was being generous, very generous to you because he loves you. It's a willingness to be strategically benevolent with what you have. That's what grows the kingdom of God. A lot of you have your favorite verse, Minnie's. Favorite verse is John 3.16. And you know it. For God so loved the world that he... Okay, let's stop. You know the rest of it. It's good. Good theology. But say it again. For God so loved the world that he... Yeah, there it is. He sacrificially gave his son to die for you. It's a sacrificial giving. That's the way the kingdom of God grows. And the very first thing that was tested when I got here within a couple of weeks was our generosity. It was our promise to, as a church, give 10%. It was being tested because it was, oh, maybe the third Sunday I was here and some of the council members asked if they could talk to me after church one Sunday. And I thought to myself, guys, give me more than three Sundays to show you that I'm good. I'm not really that bad. I'm, I'm, I'm not, but you don't have to let me go now. I don't need to be critiqued now because I, I thought maybe they want to talk to me that, you know, I'm just off the wall or something. And uh, you could tell they were uncomfortable. They were unsettled. And I, I said, what's going on? And they said, well, we need to tell you that we haven't been tithing as a church or giving as a church for two years now. And I said, ooh. You see, um, a generous church can't afford to do that. A generous church cannot afford to open that up for the enemy because there's blessing that comes through generosity. And so I said, guys, what do you think we need to do? 
And they said, well, we got to start tithing right away. And I said, bingo, I agree. I said, I'm going to add something else to it. I also think we need to pay back tithes. It might take us a year or two to do it. But you are so generous and you have such a generous heart. I don't want us to get down the road and have something come up and we second guess the fact that we didn't give. That we opened the door. We opened the door to something we don't want to open the door to. We need to close the door and be generous. So I called the district supervisor and I said, hey, I noticed that we haven't been giving. He goes, yeah, I was going to give you a call about that. I said, I bet you were, you know. We want to start tomorrow giving our tithe, but we also want to pay our back tithe. And he said, what? I said, we want to pay our back tithe. And he said this, I've never, ever heard of anyone doing that. I said, we're not real concerned whether anyone else is doing it. We are concerned that we do it. We need to do it. I said, it may take a year or so. He goes, yeah, take your time. <laughs> so the next Sunday, I got up just like this, and I told the same story I just told you. And the back tithe was paid off in two months. Not a year, not six months, two months. Two months. The last group of people clapped after that, I think, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, they did. A little more exciting, man. You guys are 11 o'clock. You've got to get in it. Come on. But it was one of those things that we were just astounded. What happened there is there was this ability, this confidence rose up in the faithfulness of God that said he can do this. He's doing this. And I know from really that moment on, that's been what's happened here. We've continued to tithe every month ever since, whether we were rich or poor or in between, and you can believe that we've been a lot of times on the poor side. But we've tithed. It's a covenant. It's a promise. So I want to make this real to us, if it's not already real. If you call Canby Foursquare Church your home, and you want to participate in the generosity it takes to make disciples who make disciples, then let me encourage you, to give. If you're not giving, start giving. Give regularly. Fulfill the promise and commitment of making disciples. It doesn't happen in a lot of other ways. It happens through generosity. Annette and I have followed the biblical example of 10% and more. We've done that. That's We believe in that. And we're working past 10 and we're getting closer to 15% and 20. We're working to be more generous. We're working to see the kingdom uh, fulfilled in the ways that we can fulfill it. Engaging in the mission of the local church is sustained by being generous. For God so loved the world that he gave. Hear this, we scale everything we do here to the mission. We scale everything we do here to the mission. Payroll, mortgage, everything scaled to the mission. So much so that in the very first months of being here, we realized that we were growing. And there was a time we were doing five services on a weekend. 
two on uh, Saturday and three on Sunday in building number one. And we said, we got to build. <laughs> we got to make more room. But we did it with this promise to God. God, we will build, but we will never, ever let a mortgage dictate the mission that you've called us to. It's scaled to the mission. And I can't tell you how many churches I was seeing start to sink because they were a slave to the mortgage that they had made. You are not a slave to any mortgage. And when God says to you, go, we go. We're not jumping in a back room, throwing up the calculator and going, well, I wonder how much this will cost us in people who go with the people who go. We never have ever gone to a calculator of done math to determine whether we're going to be obedient to Jesus Christ and the Great Commission. We have never gone there. When he says go, we go. And we do what he's called us to do. Did you know that your mortgage is only 5% of your general fund here? That's when you should go, oh. You know why? Because your mortgage, most of us, it's not 5%. We're better than you at that. No. We do not want to be a slave to the mortgage. That's not why we're here. And I'm going to go a little further. Early on here, um, I told Annette, I said, wouldn't it be great if we got to the place as a church we could give 50% away? What if we got to a place we could get, give half of what comes in. What if we could give it to mission and to the kingdom and to planting churches? What if we could do that? Well, I'm here to tell you today, you were almost there. Almost. In the last three years, in your tithe, in your outreach giving, you have given over $1.2 million. That's a ton of coin right there. That's 400000 a year, and that's almost, we're getting close to where between 30 and 40% of what comes in is going out. Friends, I don't know of many places that do that. You do it. And we need to continue to make sure that that happens. We can continue to be generous only to the degree that you are generous. It's the simple math. Our mission of making disciples who make disciples has included a few things. And let me tell you what it is. This is when I get excited. Planting churches. You have planted over 20 churches out of this place. All over the nation. From the East Coast to the West Coast. You have 10 around you in this area that, that you have planted We've assisted in literally planting hundreds of other churches, literally assisting hundreds of other churches being planted. In fact, last service, I don't know if they're here this service, um, we've planted, many of you don't know this, we planted a church that goes on in building one at one o'clock in the afternoon called Los Hechos, and it reaches our Hispanic brothers and sisters, and it's pastored by Cindy and Alejandro Garcia, and they come at the 9 o'clock, 
and they were here last service, and we just had them stand up. In, pro in, in, in their absence, would you just give them an applause because um, they do a great job. Really good friends. An example of planting churches and how God does it and the fact that we don't have to think about what it's going to cost us. We do it because God's called us to do it. Several years ago, we had a pastor, and we have had this over years. Pastors come and rest here in your church. And they don't, you might not even know they're pastors unless they tell you they're a pastor. But they come and rest. And we had a few like that. And we had some friends that moved from here to Kentucky. And they moved to Kentucky, and it was a job transfer. And this friend called me about six months later, and he said, Ron, can we get a church like Canby Foursquare here? Can we do that? Can we get one like that in Kentucky? And I said, well, first of all, are you the pastor? And he said, no, I can't pastor. I said, then will you give 20% of your income to do it? And he goes, yeah, I'll do it. And I said, and when people come, will you be there to catch them and nurture them and grow them? Can you do that? And he said, yes, I can do that. So one of the pastors that was resting on the time also happened to be on the worship team. And we got done worshiping, and he was walking off the platform. And as I was walking onto the platform, I whispered to him, and I said, think about going to Kentucky. And you could just see him, like, viscerally just go, what? And he sat down, and I saw him whisper to his wife, and she was doing the same thing. She was like, oh, my. And the next week we met, and he came in, and they were bawling and crying. And they said, we need to go to Kentucky. I said, yes, let's go. And we planted a church. You know how many people left here to go there? About 100. 100 people in a few waves left to go to Berea, Kentucky to plant a church that today is three to 400, and they've planted churches. They have sent out missionaries, and you are a grandparent. That is the best place to be, isn't it? Amen. Amen. <laughs> we have missionaries all around the world that we have in every part and been involved in their training and their sending. We have hundreds that have gone out of Canby Bible College. Unfortunately, COVID, we just couldn't sustain it, but we have internships. We've done so much to help train up others to go. Right now, Arlene Tatum is in Central Africa. Right now, as we speak, she's there. Others have gone out and gone to Germany, other parts of the world. And we also have with us this, today, we have our missionaries from Albania. We have Sean and Vita Mason. Would you guys stand up there? You can applaud them as well. They're here from Albania. They've been there for a while. And so Sean, and I want you to get connected with Sean and Vita between services or after this service. They'll be, they'll be in the lobby. So if you want to connect with them, you can. Tonight, let me extend an invitation. They're going to be in our patio at 6 o'clock tonight. If you're interested in all the things you've heard that we've talked about Albania, come at 6 o'clock tonight. And, and that's a great place to engage and interact. But right after the church service, feel free to talk to them and, um, and get, a, get an idea of what's going on there. We're just blessed to be able to say that we can send people and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the world. Your community outreach has been extensive. I am going to tell you a few things that I'm not even close to scratching the surface on what you do in community. First of all, I think about our recovery ministries that go on here. Did you know that Building 2, when you walk out of here, is something we don't use as a church? 
We have dedicated it for just community use. Community uses that building. And so almost every day of the week, maybe except Sunday, we have recovery meetings that go on. And there are almost four to 500 people that pass through building number two every single week. That is phenomenal that it happens there. Yeah, yeah, that recovery, that's incredible. Side note to that, our police, Canby Police and Sheriff County Sheriffs use this as a substation from 12 midnight to 8 o'clock. So don't try to rob the place then because it just we have too many cops around here. But they go and they, they, they're so thankful they get coffee. They can use the restroom. They can fill out reports. They asked, if, they asked us, can we do, use it? And I said, oh, yeah, you can use it. <laughs> I've, dri I've driven by at 1230 at night, and they're sitting in the parking lot. And I'm going, yes. It keeps everything really, I mean, yeah, vandalism isn't really high in this place because there are too many cops around here. Uh, pretty strategic. So they use building number two as well, and I love it. We support Canby Center. Uh, you're one of the main supporters of Canby Center. You support first responders in the community, and I've said this before. I'm on the fire board, and currently I'm the president of the fire board, but I'm doing that because that is where I can bring my gifts to the community. And I'm going to say this to everyone in the room. Your rhythms of life are your rhythms of life. But you can always find where you can serve community in those rhythms of life. I served community when my kids were younger, family was younger. I served by coaching football and baseball. That's how I served community. But always looking for a way to serve community. Not taking away from church, because I still am here. But how do I serve my community? Friends, you've got to think about how we contribute that way. We also give to the Pregnancy Care Center, uh, Angel Tree, which we've just, you, you gave gifts. You put smiles on 160 kids' faces at Christmas. That is amazing. That's a lot of kids that are happy because of what you've done. We help the schools. We're specifically um, engaged with Karis Elementary School. Uh, we have a lot of the schools get a hold of us at Christmas time because the underserved kids just don't get a lot. And so we send a lot of um, um, gift cards to help the other schools help the kids that are in their school. We have counseling services that go on here. Here's a question that I've been asking, and I'm going to give it to you right now, that I've been asking for years. Would this community miss us if we weren't here? I have to ask it all the time. Would this community miss us if we weren't here? My answer is this. Today, the answer is yes. I don't know what it is tomorrow. That's up to you. Not up to me. What will the answer be a year from now, two years from now, three years from now? It's up to you. Today, they would definitely miss you. We have small groups in abundance, children, youth, I think the best on the planet. Prime timers, they're, they, the prime timers are amazing here. They're party animals, so they're, they're just, they just like to have fun, and they do have fun, and it's a blessing to know. We have prime timers. Can I say this? Our prime timers love you. They're more progressive than most of us in this way. Why aren't we doing this, and why aren't we doing that? That's a good idea. You guys got good ideas. I mean, they are on fire wanting to reach a community and wanting to go and touch community. It's amazing. If you're in the uh, age group of prime timers, you go. You're, you know, they're 
they're incredible. Do you know my first month or two here, I looked around and I saw most of the people in the building were our age, and it literally scared me. And if I went into a building today and it was all young people, it would still scare me. And I had a council meeting, and I pulled all of us 30-somethings together, and I said, I'm, I'm scared. And they said, why? I said, if we're the smartest people in the room, we're doomed. <laughs> really, we don't have that much life experience and wisdom. They said, what do we do? And I said, we fast and pray for gray hair in this place. That's what we do. And we started fasting and praying for gray hair to walk through the door. And the first couple that did was Tom and Dorothy Williamson. They used to own the Pancake House out in Beaverton and a few others. And they walked through. They were treated like kings and queens and didn't know why. Because all these young people are giving up their seats and they're helping them with their jackets and they're carrying things. And they, later they said, why were they so nice? I said, we prayed you in. That's why you're so, ni you're so nice. You are attending one of the most generationally diverse churches around. There are a ton of young people and young families that are here. And there are a ton of prime timers that are here. For that, I am so grateful that our kids growing up can look and see that they're supported. Women's, men's meetings, Bible studies, all kinds of things happen. All kinds of things that you can engage in. And I'm going to finish with this. So many lessons. Yeah. So many lessons learned along the way. For me personally, I can't tell you the numbers of lessons that you've taught me. The numbers of lessons that hopefully I've learned. A lot of lessons along the way that always include God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness is always at the center of the lesson. When I was scared to death. When I didn't know what was going to happen when I planted a church. After three or four years we were here, we sent half of them away to Malala. Scared me to death scared me but God was faithful great things come from small places like Canby Jesus came from Nazareth David came from Bethlehem and here's the lesson we never let the size of our town determine the size of our vision never ever let that happen you do great things because God has called you to do great things and that's what's happened here and because we've been good stewards of what we've been given, God has given us the desires of our heart. And we are so thankful. And you know what the desires of our heart are? The salvation of many, many souls. You have allowed and opened the door to thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Tens of thousands have come to faith because of little candy. Who would have thought? Promise made, promise kept. It's real. And what God wants to say to you today, the word for 2020, Nat and I have prayed over this and we do every year, is the word covenant. Say that, covenant. That's the word for us. The word is covenant. In covenant, you're safe. In covenant, you're free. In covenant, you live a godly life. Do you know outside of covenant, it's scary? Outside of covenant, there's too many crazy, confusing things happening that are polarizing us left and right. In the covenants we make with God and the covenants God makes with us, there is security, there is blessing, there is spiritual wealth and generosity that happen in covenants 
with God. Promise made, promise kept. God will always be faithful to you, not just to a whole church, but to you in the church, every one of you. It's when you enter a covenant with him and you say, Lord, I'm not going anywhere. I'm following you. I'm walking with you because God has said to you, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here. My life, my death and resurrection will bring freedom to you. Covenant with me. And so today, covenant with God. The scripture that the Lord has given us for this year is Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of his eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and glory forever. Amen. Do you know what that covenant consists of? And I'm going to tell you there are three subwords that come with the word covenant because they're all wrapped up in here. It's equip, be equipped, covenant to be equipped to do what God has called you to do and then be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the third, be deployed. Go tell others. Don't hide your light. Go tell others. That's what a covenant looks like. And so today, we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. And what I want you to do is I want you to stand up where you are because we're going to take communion this particular way today. Go ahead. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.